Hey there, this is Sophie. Before we get started in our deep dive podcast conversation today, I just wanted to let you know that if you enjoy our podcast, you might also enjoy some of the other great content we have available for you on YouTube, our blog, and on our website. Check it out, russellinvestments.com. The monitoring of taxes and and trying to address them is, is an important part of the financial planning process. Being able to show the client the impact of that tax drag over time. If we give up 100 or 200 basis points per year in our non-qualified account, that amounts to real money after 10 or 20 years. That could be hundreds of thousands of dollars in lost opportunity because that doesn't show up as a negative on the client statement. It doesn't show up as you lost $600,000 over the last 20 years due to taxes. It's opportunity cost. It's the it's the the vacation home that was rented and not purchased. It was the legacy that was left versus not left. It was the additional freedom and flexibility you have in retirement versus biting the nails and and, and just kind of skating by. So it it goes well beyond just what you pay in, in April. Welcome to the Helping Advisors podcast by Russell Investments. I'm Sophie Antelgibert, head of North America Portfolio and Business Consulting for Russell Investments, advisor and intermediary solutions business. Thank you for coming back again for our third episode that is focused on the value of an advisor in 2021. For those of you who have worked with Russell Investments and partnered with us or heard some of our presentations, you have no doubt heard our value of an advisor um, content and research that we update on an annual basis that estimates the value of an advisor around a formula based around a few letters that are designed to be memorable and repeatable memorable for you and repeatable so that you and your clients can repeat them as sort of a a marketing engine for your firm and for what it is that you stand for and represent and deliver to clients day in and day out that makes you different in this increasingly crowded marketplace. That formula is all built around A, B, C, where A stands for active rebalancing of investment portfolios, B stands for behavioral coaching, C stands for customized client experience and planning, P stands for product alignment, and T stands for tax smart planning and investing. Now, for those of you who have maybe missed our previous two podcast episodes on this formula, you might want to go back and listen to those because those are the episodes in which we covered the A, B, C, and P. So that today we have reserved our final episode around this formula to focus on T, the value of tax smart planning and investing. And of course, at Russell Investments, we do everything by design. So there is definitely a reason that we saved the T for last and saved it as an episode on its own because tax smart planning and investing is becoming such an important component, both for advisors and for investors in their ability to achieve their goals, whether that be from an advisor's perspective of differentiating themselves and being able to grow their business. And from an investor's standpoint of being able to accomplish their goals, having those special moments in their lives that they'll be able to share with 
families, those memorable moments. To take us through this, this final value in the formula, I'm joined by Tom Flynn, Regional Director for Washington, D.C., Virginia, and Maryland at Russell Investments. Welcome, Tom. Hey, Sophie. And also by Tina Downing, our Senior Director and Lead for Business Solutions, who coaches advisors in the U.S. and in Canada. Thank you, Tina, for joining us. Thrilled to be with you for the third podcast. <laughs> Excellent. So glad that you guys agreed to come back again, especially to talk about the value of tax smart planning, which at Russell Investments is near and dear to all of our hearts and is an area that we have really been firmly entrenched in for a number of years now and helping advisors be able to understand how can I continue to elevate the value that I deliver to my clients beyond helping my clients be able to reach their retirement goals, but also what do I do and what can investors do with their non-retirement assets? We're seeing an increase in requests around that and an increase in interest from investors as well as a lot of baby boomers are retiring and maybe coming into required minimum distributions that they might not need quite yet. Or maybe they're selling a business or all sorts of other ways that investors are coming into money that is non-qualified assets or is taxable assets. And yet, we want to make sure that we're investing them as smartly and as efficiently as we possibly can. So Tom, maybe you can lead us in a conversation initially, at least about what does tax smart investing mean and why does it matter? Is this a fringe thing or what is going on here? It might've started as a fringe thing, at least what, what people thought, but I think they're learning over the course of the last several years, at least, um, that there's a meaningful impact to the benefit of having tax smart planning and investing. I, I think for years it was probably, um, you know, I don't want to say forgotten, but it was it was said, you know what, why don't I focus on making as much money as I can? And then if I'm making money, then I'll worry about paying taxes later. And we know that that's not necessarily always the case. Uh, I, I joke often that that when someone says, if you're paying taxes, it means you're making money. That's, that's the proverbial nails on the chalkboard for me, because there's been plenty of years for investors who have invested in mutual funds where they have been left with a hefty tax bill due to capital gain distributions where their portfolio was not positive at year end. So those are those are interesting conversations to be had, to be sure. But I, I think when, when we talk about the opportunity here, understanding that most strategies have tax drag and, and in terms of the, the the traditional vehicles that the vast majority of investors utilize to access the markets and, and invest the mutual funds. Just by design, those strategies are meant and are used by a lot of investors, both in qualified and non-qualified accounts. And, and there's a little thing at year end called capital gains. And a lot of people have understood and realized over the last several years that that happens on an annual basis. And after you meet with your CPA and, and April 15th, uh, you might get a notice that uh, you have to pay a little bit more. It's almost that phantom phantom income or the phantom tax that people don't really even notice is happening. And especially over the last 10 years, when you think about the bull market that we've had, we've seen capital gain distributions being anywhere from the low to mid single digits to up to the lower low double digits in 10 and 12% over time. And that's meaningful for, for investors. So there, there's tax drag, right? So what you earn is not necessarily what you keep. In your portfolios, if you're planning and you're thinking you're getting 10, but you're really getting eight after taxes are paid, that's not something that you want to realize five years, 10 years down the road. It's important to recognize that there is tax drag and there is taxes, um, and that has a meaningful impact on wealth accumulation over time, but that there is something that you can do about it. Asset location is as important as asset allocation. That's coming in more into, into focus over the last decade or so is that 
what you do on the qualified side is great, but you should recognize that there should be something different being done on the non-qualified space. And and Sophie, you mentioned before about the opportunity here where clients are coming into non-qualified assets. 45% of the assets that are held in open-ended mutual funds are in non-qualified accounts. So these assets are out there and more and more coming over time. When I joined the Russell in 2010, 2011, most people weren't talking about it. We started talking about it more and more. And now people are saying, man, you've been coming back with the same message for 10 years and people are finally starting to to get it and figure it out and do something a little bit different. It seems like an easy entree into a conversation for advisors and investors because who who doesn't want to keep more of what they earn? Why in that sense then, Tom, from your perspective, why do you think that it comes as such a surprise? Why are there still 45% of assets that are invested in open-ended mutual funds? Why are they in some ways misallocated to open-ended mutual funds? If those are actually taxable assets, why why is that disconnect still happening? Why haven't they been more appropriately invested in tax-managed vehicles? You know, there, there's a couple different reasons, right? Um, first of all, managing for taxes is hard. It's it's not something that's easy. And, and most advisors traditionally have said, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's a difficult thing to do. I'm, maybe I'll do some of the basics around tax management and keep an eye on the calendar for long-term holding periods and, and lower turnover, whether it be me managing the money or the portfolio managers. But I think that there's also a structural issue here, right? And that's in the sense that most mutual funds do not have a tax mandate. And that is by design. The SEC mandates that or says that if you manage money for, for investors, you have to manage the portfolio to benefit all shareholders. And since many of those mutual funds are held in both qualified and non-qualified accounts, the portfolio manager must be agnostic to taxes. So they're not going to manage that portfolio to, to minimize capital gains because the person who owns that in a qualified account and their 401k or their IRA does not have to worry about that. So they have to be agnostic. And there's just not a whole lot of strategies that are on the other side of the table that actually have a tax mandate. I mean, we, we, we think about fixed income, right? We think about municipal bonds and things like that. That's one way in which people will start to do something different on the non-qualified side. But really, when we talk about the capital gains issues, that happens in your equity portfolios. That doesn't happen in your traditionally in your fixed income portfolios. It happens a lot of times in your equities. Being aware of the different types of interest and and how to arbitrage the tax code to a certain extent. There's not a lot of strategies out there that that do that. For a lot of investors and, and advisors alike, finding those things has been difficult. First of all, there wasn't a flashlight. There wasn't a focus on it, spotlight on it. And then when there was a spotlight on it, finding strategies to help them manage that in a scalable and efficient way and effective without also hurting your before tax returns. I got into the business right after the tech bubble. And, or right, right, uh, I'm sorry, right before the tech bubble. And you started to see the introduction of tax-efficient mutual funds. Their goal was to minimize taxes. But the problem was they also minimized returns. And so clients were better off just doing what they were always doing and then just paying the tax bill. They would have better been better off. Their after-tax return was, was better in a tax-inefficient vehicle. Mm-hmm. Correct, correct. And that's just because they were do- those portfolios were doing tax-managed light. They were doing, you know, managing holding period, right? So they keep an eye on the calendar and um, there were lower turnover. But a lot of times that led you to underperform and and not do as well. And so those strategies kind of faded off until more recently when, again, you're running through a, a period in which, you know, post great financial crisis up until last year, where you've had a steady stream of capital gain distributions. 
And having that same conversation with your client and the accountant every single year about why you're getting distributions and the impact it has on your on your life gets tiring. So people are looking for solutions and the advisors that are able to address those in a scalable and efficient and effective way are the ones that win. The impact of capital gains goes beyond just your tax bill. It, I've heard stories of advisors got fired because they didn't pay attention to capital gains and the, their client all of a sudden didn't qualify for certain Medicare programs or their their monthly supplement tripled because all of a sudden they had this income coming in. So uh, it goes well beyond just what you pay to the IRS. It also has impacts on your overall financial plan and the growth of your assets. I think it's also important as you think about the timing of when you're actually trying to manage tax liability as well. I know as an advisor, many times I would look at it toward the last quarter of the year, which is probably not the best time to really look at taking capital gains if you look historically when the timing is around there. So how do you as an advisor also build in this process yourself of actually managing tax liability in every account and every portfolio that you have every single month and trying to find where the best opportunities are. It's why I actually moved to a firm like Russell Investment to actually help with that tax management over time. The second thing I think is too, that we have to think about the relationship that we have and the role our tax advisors actually play in our lives. I know for me, I would at the end of the year, I'd gather all my 1099s, take them and drop them off to my tax advisor. And I wasn't really getting tax advice throughout the year, it really wasn't the role that he played. It was my advisor's role, right? That, that helped me think through that. And I would take it and he would give me the damage, you know, that I had to pay. And it was never more apparent than in 2018 when the accounts were down significantly and I still had a huge tax bill. So, you know, it begs the question then going back to your advisor saying, okay, how can this actually happen? And how can we make sure that this doesn't ever happen again? Hey, we're just going to take a quick break here, but we'll be back shortly. Hey, it's Julie, your productivity and readiness expert at Vessel Investments. We'll get back to the podcast in just a sec. But first, a question we hear from financial professionals over and over is, how do I make my investment practice stand out from the one across the street? We're all looking for ways to be unique. One powerful way is by becoming a tax-managed investing expert. Our latest value of advisor study shows that taking a tax-smart approach can provide enough value to investors that more than justifies a reasonable fee. And if you're thinking tax management sounds like too much work, don't. Because Russell Investments can provide you with tax-smart models that can help with all that portfolio management. Visit us at russellinvestments.com to learn more and start setting your practice apart with a tax-managed approach. Or then again, maybe you could just repaint your lobby. That might help too. And we're back. So what is some language that you provide, maybe Tom, if we start with you, for advisors that want to begin this conversation with clients and that want to preempt that frustrating conversation that Tina was describing with her advisor in 2018 of what just happened? My accounts are down. I'm paying a huge tax bill. How do I, as an advisor, initiate that conversation without becoming overly technical and complex in a way that a, a client can understand and appreciate? What What is a good way to start? Well, a, a good way to start is just to recognize that the monitoring of taxes and, and trying to address them is, is an important part of the financial planning process. It's not just your CPA saying you own an extra, you owe an extra 15 or $20,000 in taxes due to your capital gains. So my language to the, to the, the client or my advice to advisors would be to put it in terms 
that the client understands. Don't get stuck around the technicalities of what you're going to be doing or the, or the portfolio manager or a firm like Russell is doing to help manage for taxes, but to focus more on the important part of it and, and how it affects other things much further down the line. And by the way, this is not just a conversation to be having with your wealthiest of clients. This affects everyone who has non-qualified accounts all the way down the line. That client who got a $5,000 capital gain distribution that wasn't expecting it, that has to pay taxes on it, is just as angry or upset or confused as the client who got a $100,000 capital gain distribution. So I think this is, this is a conversation that should be had across the board because minimizing, not eliminating, and not avoiding taxes, but minimizing them to the extent that you can has a meaningful impact on wealth accumulation over time. And I also think, Sophie, this is a, and Tom, this is the perfect time to address it with the client. Asking them to bring in their 1099 will give you the ability to even potentially see assets that you don't have right now, because you can see right there on the 1099 what their qualified and non-qualified gains are. That actually opens up that conversation as you're doing the review of those documents with them to help them understand what are the answers and how can I actually help if you bring more of your taxable assets to me, how can we take a more proactive approach to the health of your wealth over time? I'm glad you said that, Tina, because I was thinking that in your story, you described taking your 1099 div forms to your tax accountant. Well, what if what if I took them to my financial advisor? What if I got my advisor, a second expert who looks at these things through a different lens, right? Who is not a replacement for my CPA at all, but is is another expert that can look at the these forms from a slightly different angle and might be able to help. That also leads me to a question, Tina, you mentioned earlier about the importance of continued business development for advisors. I've got to imagine that there is a business development angle to a focus on taxes, right? You're differentiating our, ourselves in the marketplace, but also it potentially gives us access to a different type of COI engagement, right? Now I'm suddenly beginning to speak the language of CPAs in my community that I might be able to build bridges and build alliances and partnerships with where we can both be working together to help our mutual clients. And we're helping each other too. We're, we're helping each other and the client arrive at better outcomes. Would you agree with that, Tina? Or is this Sophie thinking pie in the sky? No, I totally agree with it. You know, when I was a producing branch manager, I spent a lot of time in the community trying to build relationships with COIs, attorneys, CPAs, accountants, and working with them all the time. And one of the things that accountants told because me, one of the questions I ask is, do you refer business to advisors? And if you don't, why not? And many of them told me that one of the reasons I don't refer is because advisors come to talk to me about, if I would just turn my client over to you, this is what I could do for them, right? Instead, none of them actually talk to me about what they could do to help me grow my business and do a better job for my client. What a great opportunity to offer education for CPAs out there on what they can do to help more proactively get in front of these tax liabilities for their clients, which actually helps build their relationships with the clients, hence building your relationship as the advisor with the with the CPA. One of the things I hear from CPAs is they say most advisors come to me and say, if you refer clients to me, I'll refer clients to you. And that's the relationship. I would rather someone that helped my clients and helps me make look good in front of my clients, right? If I'm a CPA, I'm usually the the first one that's getting yelled at when that unwelcome news comes. So I'm on the front line. So if if you help me look good in front of my clients and ha- make that conversation easier, I'm much more likely to to work with you. 
And, and don't forget also the attorney angle of this. When you think about trust accounts, trust accounts have one of the most progressive tax codes or, or tax rates within the, the, the tax code. So they hit the top tax bracket you know, at just shy of, of $13,000 of income. But attorneys, again, they're not advisors and they're not CPAs. So they're, they're fiduciaries. You know, they're trying to do what's right. But taxes is always one of those things that, that kind of gets left behind because they don't think they can do anything about it. If I'm a, an advisor and I can go to a, an attorney or a firm, and I can say, listen, I can help you minimize your tax bill for your trust accounts. I can do so in a scalable and efficient way. And I can clean up the reporting so that year end, you can also potentially lower your tax prep costs. If I'm, a, if I'm an attorney or I'm a fiduciary, or I'm a trustee, or I'm someone that's overseeing those assets, uh, that's a win across the board for me. So if you're an advisor, bring it, you talk about business development. If, if you're doing that with a CPA and you're also doing it with attorneys, you don't need a whole lot of those folks to be your allies to have a robust business development. I love the idea of branching out to CPAs, to attorneys that focus on trust accounts, on asking clients, you know, bring, next time you come, bring in your 1099 div forms. There's ways to be able to forensically analyze that and understand where can we add more value? Where, as Tina pointed out, might there be accounts that I am not managing, that apparently somebody else a lot like me is managing that I would love to be able to help my client be able to take a holistic view of their assets. Tina and Tom, thank you so much for your insights on this value of tax management and that value of advisors being able to provide tax smart investing solutions to their clients. This has been a terrific conversation and I look forward to our final installment where we will focus on how can we put all of these great ideas to work? What can we do differently as of potentially tomorrow as an advisor to continuously elevate our value in that value of an advisor formula for 2021. So thank you both. Thanks for having us, Sophie. Yeah, thanks. This episode was recorded on April 22nd in Washington, D.C., St. Louis, and Seattle.